Coming up next on The Ziggler Show, Zig shares with us that while earthquakes and hurricanes get all the press, much more damage is done overall by termites who take such small bites. We can't even detect it with the human eye, but you take enough over time and they can completely destroy a home or a building. Now take that on a positive spin. It's the same small, consistent, sometimes seemingly innocuous things that we do every day that lead to our greatest successes. I guess you could say demises as well. But as a pro cyclist, a past pro cyclist, I was thinking about that. And the benefit is far more when we spread, when I would spread my allotted training time over the week, a little bit every day. And as opposed to one monster session on the weekends, right? We know that if you're going to work out to build muscle, you go in every day and do a little bit. You can't do it by just going in one day a week and killing yourself. So I asked the Ziggler audience, what is a tiny step or deposit you take nearly every day that pays great dividends in the long term? And we actually talked about some of those things where you got to have faith because you don't see immediate results. Sometimes you don't see a whole lot of results in general, but you have faith that it's going to build up over time. So Tom Ziggler and I talked through the comments to shed light on what those small daily deposits that people like you and I do, how it revolutionizes our lives. Welcome to The Ziggler Show, a top-ranked all-time career podcast in Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. In this show, we expound on Zig Ziggler's be, do, and have philosophy, meaning you have to be the right kind of person and do the right things before you can expect to have what really matters in life. And we want you to have what matters. Also, check out my podcast, What Drives You, where we talk with people who have reached impressive achievements to ask what drove them, good and bad. And we dig into the very motives that drive us all with the goal of clarifying just what is driving you. Then in my True Life podcast, we want to get you fully functioning physically so your body doesn't hold you back. You can find all three of my shows in Apple Podcasts. Just search for Kevin Miller or go to my website, kevinmiller.co. And if you're new to The Ziggler Show, I invite you to visit Ziggler.com. Connect with Tom Ziggler and the Ziggler family about upcoming events and how they can come alongside you and help you inspire your true performance. Where do we start? Well, you start right now. In many ways, I started when I was 45 years old. And the purpose of this series is to give you assurance that, yes, you can make the new start and things can happen uh, in an amazing way. My friend and fellow speaker, Joe Saba, says, you don't have to be great to start, but you've got to start to be great. And from my perspective, truer words were never spoken. Earthquakes and hurricanes get all the publicity. But did you know that termites do more damage than both of them put together? And they take such little bitty bites, you can't even see them with the naked eye. But, oh, they take so many of them. And there's so many of those termites. The message is this. You can make radical changes in minute steps. And when we clearly understand that, we start looking at those minute steps that we can take. My book, So You at the Top has 384 pages in it. I wrote that book in 10 months by writing one and one-fourth pages a day on average every day for 10 months. Radical changes minute steps. And when we understand that, then some amazing things will happen. 
to jump in on this topic, Tom, of the, you know, the termites, the little bitty bites that then can create, you know, so much damage. Of course, we're, ta- we're turning around here, the little bitty bites, little bitty deposits of the day that can create so much good. So we're going to read through comments here. And I don't think anybody's going to be blown away by hearing something new, but I think it'll help clarify and just solidify the power of these little things that we don't see a benefit from today. I can't, we all know that I can't go, I could spend 10 hours today at the gym absolutely destroying myself to where I can't walk out. And not only am I not going to see a benefit, I'm going to see a deficit. That's all I'm going to see. And even if I build back just from that one workout, it's not going to be that much. It's, you know, it's the day to day. We all know that, but there's so many things that as you and I were just chatting about, there's some faith in it. But if I do go work out and I'm lifting weights for, I don't know, you know, 30 days, doing it consistently, I'll see some gains. I'll see some weight loss. Maybe I'll see my biceps, you know, bigger. So there's that. But I want to hit real quick on what you and I just hit on too. So that's the little by little. It's kind of like the tree. You plant the tree and, you know, a little sprout, a little branch, a little leaf. And next year it looks like that. And that's what we think of. However, that doesn't hit on the consummate story of the bamboo tree. I don't remember it, Tom. What is it? You know, you water it one year, two year, three year, four year, five years, whatever, nothing, absolutely nothing. And then what year it grows 20 feet. Something yeah, like five, and I think it's year five. It grows two to you know it. It's incredible. Like in thirty days, it'll grow uh, over a foot a day. So it, you know it can be just this amazing growth spurt. So you water it, you fertilize it, and nothing happens for a year. Water it, fertilize it, two years, nothing. Water and fertilize it, three years, nothing. Water and fertilize it, four years, nothing. And then the fifth year, you get that amazing growth. Yeah. So the question is, did it grow all of that in the 30 days or did it grow all of that in the five years? Well, obviously, if you'd quit watering and fertilizing at any point, it wouldn't have ever come up above the ground. Well, and we're kind of the story of the pump, which we just you know replayed here recently or, or talked about. Uh, here's my muse on that, Tom, when I think about that is... I hear so many stories. I actually, I think that, you know, the bookshelf behind me, so many people I've had on the show and a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of people who did this, they did that, this succeeded, this failed. And I'm just, I'm going to make up a story. You know, how many of them that came into their forties, late forties, maybe in hit 50 and didn't have a whole lot of assets, didn't have any best selling book or some big thing, but they were learning all that time through all that effort they were learning. And then they're, it's like a hockey stick and all of a sudden, boom. I mean, I, I kind of saw that with my dad. I mean, he was doing all this. Well, my dad, your dad, I mean, both of our, both of our fathers, uh, weren't known much at all till about 45 or after. And we see that with a lot of people, not that they didn't have some successes, but they didn't have great wealth. They didn't have great, uh, notoriety. Um, and they may have even, I know for my dad, he, he, it was before his hockey stick, he was at a low point as far as assets. He didn't have squat. You know, he got the printout from the IRS saying, okay, you're clear. And now you've, your assets are at zero. It's a, it's a, not a negative, you know, but then he took all of that and boom, hockey stick. And in a short amount of time, like a bamboo tree. And I see that with a lot of people we have on the show, a lot of the influencers who really are pushing hard and trial and error And then they finally find that groove. And then it seems like that overnight success that in reality took 30 years, but that's the daily deposit that takes, I guess it takes the most faith. 
It it does because you know faith is is you believe in something not seen, right? You you and, and you have to uh, see it first and then create it. We create the future we see. So you've got yeah. to see something happening before it actually happens. You know, Dad's book. See at the top. Another example. He saw it. He wrote it. He had thousands and thousands of people who heard him speak on the same stories. He knew they were going to love it, but over 25 publishers turned him down. He had to self-publish. Yeah. Yeah. And how many I mean, times do we hear that happen? It, it happens all the time. And that's why that, um, you know, that idea of, gosh, it's, if you're unwilling, if, if the only person who can knock you down permanently is yourself. Yeah. So if you have that mindset of, Hey, I'm unstoppable, then eventually you're going to break through. Now, what I think what the facts bear out is unstoppable people who learn from how not to do it and start adding to the things that work. They're the ones that get the hockey stick. You know, dad did early in his career. He had some big success. He made some really good money. And he lost it really fast. He didn't know how to keep money. You know, he, he had no sustainability. He had no, and, and one of the mentors, if you come to the, to the Ziegler office and you see the wall of gratitude, one of his mentors on there was somebody who pulled him aside in the middle of his roller coaster and said, Zig, you need to go find a place and stay there for a couple of years. Because your your challenge isn't that the place is wrong. Your challenge is you're not given it enough time, hmm. right? That stability. And so that really shaped dad's view of just sticking with something and narrowing it in and getting into what you really, really want to do. Goodness. And that was my dad's story. And that has been mine, Tom, is my wife is called me out of not only just jumping to the next thing, but even within something, as soon as it doesn't work, man, I'm, she said, I rearrange the furniture and then I go rearrange the furniture again. I never give it enough time to really, to really see. All right. Well, here, let's jump in. I want to read through some, we've got some good ones. I think it'll bring out some neat things of what people are actually doing. Uh, those, those little bites every day. So, uh, Bonnie Wagner Stafford, and she's a publisher. She has Ingenium books publishing. And I know her story because she spends a lot of her time with her husband living on a boat down in the Caribbean. And I look with great, uh, desire at her pictures that she has. It's an, it's an awesome lifestyle, but she says, uh, in addition to my to-do list, my biweekly goals and my quarterly plan, as I start to think about wrapping up for the day, I ask myself what I can do before I wrap it up. Uh, that the, what can I do that the ingenium books of tomorrow? So the people she's representing will be happy about. And what about the Bonnie of tomorrow? Will she look back and be glad about what I did today? Sometimes it means I do little things that otherwise let roll over to the next day. Sometimes it means that I'm added another hour or two, but it's making a difference in a variety of ways. I really like that perspective of a daily question, a daily little deposit. Is this what the, the Bonnie of tomorrow, I'll own it for me. Is this what the Kevin is today? The Kevin of tomorrow will look back and be glad I did. Well, I'd be proud of myself is actually how I thought about it in my head of what I did today. And just what a, what a great little checklist at, at whatever point during the day, at the end of the day, whatnot, uh, to make that daily deposit. That was a Zig Ziglar secret. And 
I think he might, you know, he doesn't get credit for it, but he had this whole do it now attitude all the time. Um, and so he was always thinking about, gosh, what else can I do? What else can I do? What else can I do? And there was a lot of freedom in that because the way he matured is he said, Hey, I'm going to do everything I can do during this time. And then when it's time to go have fun, I'm going to see how many fun things I can do during my time to have fun. And when it's with my family, I'm going to go. So he was like this ultimate, uh, what else can I do here to add to this experience? And some of that was, gosh, how relaxed can I be? <laughs> it's great. And it, you know, and it was, it was really, really powerful to see him uh, in those different modes. And when he was just his normal self, he always gave his mind permission to go in the direction of creating what he was working on. So you always saw him with a notepad whenever he would travel, when he was in the den watching TV with the family, whatever. He was always just seeking out, okay, how can I, how can I top this off? How can this be a little bit better? But nobody had more fun when they were having fun than dad. So he, he was never, uh, he called it traveling. He never traveled. He was never at home wishing he was working. All right. And he was never working wishing he was at home. Right? He was always present. But present to him meant, gosh, all this input, all the, all the people I love, all the things that are going on. And if an idea popped out of it, he just took advantage of it right there. Yeah. That, that being present, I mean, obviously that's a big term these days when we're in this age of distraction and it's so, it feels like, well, I would say so much more difficult to be, you know, present, but we've got what back in the, a long time ago, you know, Blaise Pascal saying man's, one of man's greatest downfalls is the inability to sit alone in a room for 15 you know, minutes. I think even worse now. And and to be able to be present with what we are doing. I like that term of traveling. I'm not going to travel in that mentally. Um, that's good for me to hear. Well, here, here's just, again, I'm, we're going to go through uh, just some, some different random things. I, I kind of ask people to give me, just give me an example. Just one thing that you have faith is going to pay out. Brad Horner. So Brad has an insurance agency. He says, I wake up around 5 a.m. every day to write my kids notes to put in their lunch boxes. I include a Bible verse or a quote, how the verse or quote applies to their lives and a personal note to encourage them in life's journey. They each have a box that they keep the cards in after they get home. My hope is that they will keep these cards and it leaves a lasting legacy. Uh, and he actually has a, 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 he's growing a coaching business called mechanics of mankind. And that's mechanics with an I X mechanics of mankind. Uh, dot com, but it's been neat getting to know him. You know him. He's gone through uh, Ziegler Legacy Certification, and I, I responded back to him and said, "Man, I appreciate that." My mom always—I would get a napkin in my lunchbox as a kid, or you know, during whatever time, with just—it was kind of a love note for mom. It's so sweet. A lot of times, my my buddies would grab it and read it, and she'd often sign it Kevy Poo, you know, just to kind of play with it. And, you know, I say that, and that's not going to fit every kid. I was self-confident enough, thank goodness, privileged, uh, as I was to, uh, let it just be a fun thing, but we continued it with 
our kids when we, you know, at times when we made lunches. So I've got one that I'm doing that with right now. She's nine. She goes to, I make her lunch every night and uh, I write on her napkin, uh, just a word of encouragement, a word of love. And that's something she doesn't, I mean, she's nine. She doesn't mention it. She doesn't talk about it. I don't have her save it. It's a napkin. She's wiping her face with it, hopefully, uh, or throwing it away. But you know, what's that deposit? I have having faith that has, that it has value for her. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, the little, I, I think what Bradley's doing is so intentional. Mm. And I think that's one of the anchors of this is we have to be intentional in these little deposits. Yeah. Uh, you know, the idea of finishing every day, hey, what's one more thing I could do that my future self would be proud of? That's a very intentional thought. The idea of, hey, I'm going to write my kids a note every day. That's a very intentional thought. Yeah. It's like uh, having the Ziegler performance planner and just the awareness. I look at so much of the power of just our awareness of being present, taking a thought captive is so powerful, whether or not you have huge plans and detailed plans or a little plan or whatever, but just something that makes you present of an ideal that helps direct your day. And that's what we're talking about with these folks. Well, the next one's Caleb Miller. That's my eldest son. And he said, uh, working out is his you know, biggest habit. Uh, he says, I work out five days a week. Sometimes I'll go on a bike ride or a run. It makes me feel good in the moment. I also know it's keeping me strong and healthy and agile and mobile and vibrant long-term. At this point, even more than I want to gain muscle mass and look a certain way, I simply want to be vibrant, strong, and healthy for as long as I can, which I believe should be the majority of my life, if not all of it. And as Zig Ziglar would say, it's the little daily habits and consistency that make the long-term impact. And we had a bunch of people respond after that say, yeah, absolutely. Me too. And it's something I've been thinking about Tom, because you know, I'm 50 now. I still, I mean, I'm, I'm an, I'm an athlete. I always have been, I still compete here and there, but I'm making peace with, I don't have to go out and kill myself every day. I don't even have to better myself as far as my times. I get credit just for being out here. It's good for my soul. It's good for my body. And I think it will help me be hopefully the 80, 85, 90 year old man that hopefully because my body is well, that my mind is, you know, I'm cognitively well, but that's a long-term faith. That's saying, I'm going to go out there and spend an hour today. And I did it yesterday. Is it really going to be that make that much of a difference? So I really need you to. And it's that faith in that long term. And I like, I really, I, I will have to say that it's a kind of a hot spot for me with physical fitness that I see people who have a longer term view of it, that have a core health view of it, do far better and sustain it far better than if it's just aesthetically. Not to poke fun. I mean, I'm, I'm grateful. And I think there's opportunity costs that come with looking fit and trim, you know, and taking care of yourself. Um, but if that is your primary goal, I don't see it as sustainable as those who just embrace it as this is part of who I am. It makes me feel good and having faith in it. In a, in a deeper sense, in essence. You are listening to The Ziggler Show in this episode on the power of our daily, even tiny steps and deposits. And next, Tom talks about the misunderstanding leaders often have, especially new leaders, in being confident, but also having humility and how the mistake erodes people's trust.
You know, that's a that's a powerful idea. What's the long-term impact of this? Yeah. And today, gosh, it's kind of a fun week this week. I'm recording the new book in the studio uh, that's going to come out in December. This is for an Audible and 10 Leadership Virtues for Disruptive Times. And I talk about the concept of humility and confidence as a coach leader virtue. And there's a misunderstanding. And the misunderstanding is that new leaders or people who are thrown into position feel like that a leader needs to be extremely confident. So much so that they mask it and they quote unquote fake it till you make it. And then the confidence, you could get some early wins. You could get some results. You could close a deal. You could turn a team around through the power of your own, uh, you know, your own work and what you do. Maybe you're gifted and talented in that area. You, you, you suddenly start to get some momentum going. But the problem with this fake kind of uh, boisterous confidence, kind of overpowering masking of a personality is that as soon as you get hit, as soon as you do something that doesn't work, you lose your own confidence and the team will lose their confidence in you. Hmm. As opposed to more of an of a, of approach from humility, which says, Hey, I'm humble in the sense that I'm always learning. I'm always growing. I'm always asking people who've been there and done that for ideas, for help. I, I, I recognize the talent that my team has and I draw out the best in each one of them. And my confidence comes from that. And because my confidence comes from that, I'm, I am, I love when disruption happens. I love when change comes because my confidence is built out of this humility that I don't have to know everything today. I just have to know how to solve problems. I have to know who has the answers. I have to know I've got a team who can help me with it. And so what happens is the build is slow. It's almost imperceptible. It's almost yeah. like one day, all of a sudden people turn around and they see this slow, steady progress of impact and they say, wow, that's a really good leader. We like the flash in the pan. You know, we like the rags to riches story overnight. And what we forget is the ones who sustain that level of success. They're the ones who built it from a foundation of humility. Um, there was a quote that I clipped and I, I'm not going to remember who said it, uh, but it was this. If, if you're going to build your life on virtues, if you're going to tell the world, these are the virtues I believe in, then you better build it on the foundation of humility. Hmm. And that really, really struck me. And so this idea of humility embraces the idea that we have to one small deposit, one tiny step, one little bit of a time, build this foundation of humility until <laughs> we're in a position where people take notice and say, wow, that's, that's pretty impressive. And then we have the maturity to say, hey, 
this was a lot of work and it wasn't me. It was the people around me. And yeah. those people around you are all pointing back at you saying, no, it's us together. It's because you brought us in. It's because you did this. The, the notes that you write your kids when they're nine years old are going to be the phone calls you get when you're a grandfather. That's good. And they say, Hey, I just wrote, I just wrote your grandchild a note because of you. That's, that's how you build something. Yeah. You're, you get, you had me thinking about our propensity to figure things out and to have arrived. And that's from what we then find our success on as opposed to humility, knowing there's going to be disruption. It, it got me thinking, Tom, of instead of going forward on, Hey, now I'm going to go forward and succeed because I have figured it out. I'm saying, I, I, I have figured out how to figure things out. I will figure things out as they change and, and really having that confidence be in the word I thought of when you were talking was in resilience. I want to be confident in my own resilience and my own intuition and flexibility even. And that's different than, yeah, how many people have we seen individuals and companies who thought they had it figured out, they had arrived, and now that's what they're going to impart to the world. And things change and people change. And how often did that person end up having a, a significant downfall because they were so set, you know, where they are. So uh, I, humility is just such a great, a great word for all of us. Uh, Tom, and that, you know, it makes me think of, I've got it sitting right here. I had, I don't have the show number in front of me, but I had Doug Paul on the show. I'm sure if you type in Doug Paul, the Ziegler show, he has a book called kingdom innovation for a brave new world. But our discussion was just on innovation. And we always think about innovation as this proactive thing we do to get ahead of the curve, to be hip and cool, to, to grow. And what we really ended up talking about is the reality, as you're talking about so much, Tom, that because we can, the only thing we can be sure of is disruption. The only thing we can be, you and I talked about it, certain of is there will be uncertainty. And so innovation is just a, it's just a reality. It's a necessity if we're not going to get stuck and left behind. All right. Killer stuff. Amber Hendrickson, she, uh, I know Amber, she owns a food truck, a successful food truck down in Colorado area, and they're building a restaurant now as a result of that. And then she also has some uh, coaching she does on the side. And she says, I take 15 minutes every morning, even if I'm already busy, to sit and enjoy a cup of tea. And it allows me to center myself. And I believe it's also the reason none of us have had a cold in close to four years. So double yay for, for tea. What I appreciate there, and actually that reminds me, that's why I have Doug Paul's book out, because I knew I was going to read Amber's statement there. He talked about, when I talked to him about his habits, because we did the habits show, and he talked about how, that we tend to have our daily habit routine, especially a morning routine, and we have it in regards to our expectation of a peacetime habit routine. And we make it for this with the assumption expectation that think when things are you know going right, maybe even going normal. And he said for himself, that just does not happen a lot. So he also has a wartime routine set up. 
And here Amber's talking 15 minutes. We hear so many people, so many leaders today that talk about, man, I get up at four o'clock. I get up at five o'clock. I get up at three, I, whatever it is. And I give, I spend an hour or I spend three hours. And we know that, you know, your dad had three hours that he spent reading, you know, in the mornings. And yet, but take that. And I want to come over here to the cultural norm. I say the culture, I'd say the worldwide, but I'd say even, I'd, I think, probably worse in America, Western culture too, is people who take none ever. You get up in the morning, you sleep as late as you can. You hit the snooze, you run off to work. If you got kids, you take care of all that and you're throwing their lunch boxes together without a note. And, or, or not even that you're just giving them a block, just buy whatever the heck they have at school. And you rush out the door, you do the thing, you come home, you burn it till the end and you do that again. So we're, we're counting this against nothing. I would say we could make up, what do they say? 80% of all statistics are made up on the spot. So we could make one up and say, what are the stats of people who take any time? during the day to just stop, sit and be present. And there are, I don't know how many responses were given to this. Um, it's, I've got pages and pages of responses and I'm reading some of the longer ones, but there are a lot of short ones. And if I looked at the number one, small, tiny, uh, termite habit that people said that they have faith in for long-term benefits, it was, I'll paraphrase it. It was basically taking a moment in the morning, whether it's five minutes, whether it's two hours, whatever, but just taking time to be present, to be, well, I would even say, Tom, we talk about that being present, but just uh, what came to mind for me as I was trying to culminate it some was taking a moment before you start doing to be, to just be. And, and really the word was thoughtful. Can I just take a moment to be thoughtful? What you should be thoughtful about, you can decide. Is it about God? A majority of people talked about that time spent in devotions in the Bible, praying, uh, seeking God. Some people talked about just a, a moment to, to, to be grateful, gratitude. Some talked about, man, just a moment just to just breathe deep and think about my breathing, kind of a meditation thing. Some it was, let me just take a moment and think about what the priorities of the day are. What, am, what, is, what is the biggest priority today? Whatever it is, I would say that's, that's how you decide how you want to execute that. But I would say from every guest we've had on the show, from all the people, not that we have to stop now, but if I was to culminate it, I say that was the number one thing there. If you take at a minimum, I would say if you took five minutes, actually John Eldridge recently, who's famous for Wild at Heart book, he had an app. I don't remember the name of it. And it starts off with just one minute. It's going to go off during the day and it's one minute. If you want to do it in the bathroom, if you want to do it at lunch, if you want to do it in your car, if you want to do it at your desk, whatever, but just one minute, he's going for just, just a minute. He probably has some stat on how few people even do that. That was number one. So I, I want to put that out because Tom, I feel like I want people to have permission to, if that's all, if, if it's just a minute, if you spend one minute every day, if you spend one minute three times a week, how far ahead of you of the culture are you not to beat the culture, but to beat the downfalls of the culture, the depression, the despair, the stress. I, I, I could, I could anchor right there. Uh, Tom, <laughs> I, I mean, literally you, you've probably heard a thousand variations of people's routines, but is that a fair some summary? Yeah. I sum it up with that term that either you happen to the day or the day happens mm -hmm. to you. And I think that's true. And those people who take that 
whether you call it mindfulness or prayer or meditation or time block or goal setting, whatever it is to make the priority, the priority, you know, just be in that moment and get input, you know, get input from the creator, you know, and, and say, this is what I want to do today. This is how I'm going to accomplish it today. You know, I was just thinking about all of this. Uh, I believe we were built for relationship. And one of the things, a little tiny habit that I practice, I should do it more than I do it, but I try to do it, is the uh, mental model. And that's where if I'm going to have a conversation with somebody that's important, that I will just uh, envision for a minute who the conversation is with, what kind of personality style they have, what things are bothering them, what are their goals and desires, what do they want to accomplish, what are the objections that could come up? And I just I just play with those in my mind for a minute before the conversation. And that gets me into that state of being ready to listen. Mm-hmm. And when we think about, you know, there's another uh, friend of mine and he's a high end. He, he works with high end executives and he, he charges a lot of money. And uh he and he told me how much and I couldn't believe it. You know, it was like three thousand dollars for half an hour. And that was his consulting coaching fee. And I said, what do you what do you what do you what do you tell him? You know, what do you work with him on? And he looks at me and he smiles and he said the same thing you do. And I go, I go, what? He goes, everything's a relationship problem. Hmm. And I thought, wow, how true is that? So here's an idea. Whether you take a minute or five minutes or 15 minutes or an hour, just remember this. There are three relationships in life in general. There's the relationship we have with ourselves. There's the relationship we have with others. And then there's the relationship we have with God. Just think if you were to spend a minute on each one of those at the beginning of the day to get those set and going in the right direction, how would that change? What, 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 how would your day be different? How are you going to treat those you love and your family and your coworkers and the people you run into in the community? How are you going to treat yourself? I mean, in the recording today, you know, one of the chapters of the book in the 10 virtues of a, of a coach leader is, is respect. But how can you respect someone else if you don't respect yourself? And that is where we get in trouble. The self-talk, you know, the, what we say to ourselves and how we're, we're the last to take care of ourselves. And, and it's like, you know, we were talking earlier, Kevin, when you're a granddad and, you know, maybe a great granddad, hopefully you'll live long enough to be a great granddad. I, I, I'm hoping. <laughs> Gosh, when that day comes and you see where, your grandchild is writing a note to their great grandchild and you see that legacy, that rippling through eternity. Um, They were also watching your kids were watching how you respected yourself. Yeah. How you treated yourself, how you, you know, how you did that. And then they also, they watch your relationship with authority You know, dad always told me when I was little, he said, hey, I want you to know that I'm your dad and I get to set the rules. And I know that you're much more likely to follow them 
because you can trust me. You can have faith that I know what's best if I, in turn, am submitting to a higher authority who set rules for me. And that was, I mean, he was teaching me that lesson. Hmm. And, it, and, he, and then he told me, and the reason that this is all in place is because just as much as I love you, God loves me, God loves both of us, and it's for our benefit. And so he was creating a healthy understanding to me of why we do certain things. It's not oppressive or punishment to say, hey, we're always honest with each other. We don't tell lies. That's a loving thing to do. But he did those examples to me in such little bite-sized things. And so every time I would see him, which was every time I was there, he had his Bible out in the morning every day. That was a little input for me, right? It was indirect, but it was an input for me. And so that was one of the little things. So what was the number one lesson that dad taught me? We get to choose our input. So what's a fantastic habit? We choose our input. We choose what we're going to put in. And then that creates thoughts. Those thoughts create actions. Those actions create a life. Okay. That's interesting that you say that, that we, I've not thought about it in this perspective that we choose our input, that what a great way to love someone else. Let's go back to Brad talking about he is helping uh, his child choose input by giving it to them. By, by inserting that. And because it's interesting, I've got next Peter Kesling. He's a trial lawyer, but he says, I handwrite a thank you note to someone every day and mail it out. I love that because he's kind of, he's kind of forcing some good input on somebody. Here's somebody that maybe they are not choosing good input. They're not proactively doing that, but they're going to get their mail. They're going to see a handwritten card. They're going to open it up and they get the gift of something they may not have gone after. I have not thought about it in those regards, because there was also a response from Jennifer Harshman, who I know, saying that she just makes an effort to contact 10 people a day just to relate to them. Sometimes it's personal. Sometimes it's encouragement. Sometimes it's business, but she's just going to be in contact with that. And she says what that has alone has done for her business, which I know she does a lot in the editing, not, not publishing, I don't think, but in the editing world. Um, but what, what that's done for her business is paramount. But again, I hadn't thought about that, Tom, that here I am today trying to, I mean, striving to choose to give myself input. What can I do though to, let's say I use the word force. That's terrible to impart good input to somebody else. So we're doing this show. It's going to go out. A ton of people are going to choose to listen to it, but I'm not put it in their inbox that they are going to unknowingly open and get a gift of encouragement or positivity to like Peter's doing with his cards. What an interesting thing to do. And of course, you know, the benefit, the reciprocity and the growth of their businesses, their relationships, they get something out of it. It's not just an altruistic mode, uh, a movement, but I had not thought about it as far as our opportunity to impart good input, as you just said, to other people who might not otherwise be partaking of it. I like that. That's a new, I'll be chewing on that one. Um, 
you'll appreciate this. Dan Brandenburg. Dan is a professional photographer uh, and marketer, but I, I, he's no, best known as a, as a photographer. He says, I'm often locating this again. We're back to just daily little habits. I'm often locating and removing sources of negativity from my life. For example, I used to know every detail about every news story. I checked the news a zillion times per day, constantly getting upset about some aspect of news or politics. And Tim Ferriss once pointed out, Tim's the four-hour workweek guy, pointed out the problem with this and how he doesn't like to follow the news. Uh, he suggested that if something big enough to warrant his attention were to happen, someone would surely let him know about it. Um, well, regardless of what you think about being informed and it's not a discussion on that, I do like the thought of what is an intentional little habit I can do every day to, you just talked about good input, Tom, to remove negativity or to ensure some, to some degree that I'm not exposed to it. Man, that's a big deal in today's culture. I mean, that's the decision of, am I going to click on USA Today or CNN or the Wall Street Journal or Facebook or Instagram where you, you can't do it. I don't care what you try to do to your feed. I don't know that it's possible to, to go to any of those sources without having to be exposed. You will be exposed to some negativity. You may be exposed to some addiction triggers by some of the ads that they're going to you know, put in there uh, as well. And so that's, that's a risk. That's something we can do. But do we think about that? That I have a daily habit today. I'm going to make sure I remove myself or maybe safeguard, Tom, safeguard myself from the possibility or probability of negativity. That's you know, that's something I contemplated. I spent a whole year uh, around the words pure and simple. Hmm. And so those were my two words for the year. I wanted to live hmm. pure and simple. And so I asked myself the question, how pure is too pure? And that's, you know, if you dig into that, I, yeah, it's it's kind of a, you know, we always have people who say, well, yeah, but that's not realistic, blah, blah, blah. And and I go back to gold. You know, if you're going to give me a pound of gold, I want it to be as pure as possible because that has the most value. And our brain is more valuable than gold. We won't trade our brain. I mean, would you go to the doctor? Hey, cut it. You know, cut two ounces out of my brain and give me two ounces of pure gold. You know, none of us here are going to sign up for that. You know, it just doesn't yeah. it doesn't make sense. So if we're not going to trade our brain for the purest gold there is, why would we let an impurity impact our life if we have the choice to prevent it? And I do know this, and this is uh you know, anything that's worth achieving, it's usually, you're usually not held back because you're not doing enough good stuff. You're usually held back because you're doing things that take you away from it. It's like you can run all you want, yeah. but if you're not getting any sleep and you have a horrible diet, your health profile is not going to look that great. So it's the things that hold us back that, that if we can get rid of that are going to give us the biggest benefit. And I can't think of anything that will have over a longer period of time, a bigger benefit 
than eliminating the negative things that go into our mind. Yeah. No. There's a, there's a quote I heard one time, what you feed your mind determines your appetite. <laughs> yep. You, you, right out, right yep. out of the book, choose to win. I mean, you know, choose, it's right, yep. it's, it's right there. And so what we feed our mind determines our appetite. And if we look around at the TV, the social media, the books, the billboards, the radio shows, all the things that just pop into our mind, it's no wonder our appetite goes in places that we're like, hey, wait a second. I don't like that. Yeah. Right? So cutting it out. Yeah. And then there's the void aspect of it. So here's the thing. If you cut out uh, five minutes of the negative, you need to replace it with five minutes of the positive. Yeah. The good stuff. Well, in that, I even like the idea of you take a, you know, the idea of I don't want the negativity of the news, so I'm going to stop doing that in the morning. If you start enough good habits in the morning, you just flat out don't have time. I don't know how people have the time, find the time to invest in reading the news, opinions, the, the, the things of, of other people. Oh, I, I should say it this way. I'm grateful and privileged that I have enough interest and opportunity that I'm eager to go after that I have to really budget any time that I'm going to go out. And I do, I, I'll, I will say that I take a look at literally USA Today and CNN uh, every day. But it's like your dad said, I go see what the other side's up to, uh, see the pulse of what the media is doing, what people, what the people I'm in contact with out here in the world are being fed or being influenced by. So I look at it quickly, briefly for that, and then spend the rest of my time on the positive side. Well, Hey, you know, I'll probably put this in the intro, but I talked about if I went through the, the, the responses and I don't know, I don't know if we've got 30, 50, whatever, I've got pages of them here. If I tried to give the top ones, I think the number one is generally in the morning, taking some thoughtful present time. I'm going to, I'm going to say it in that way. However you want to do that. However you again, personally want to execute that. Uh, if it's meditation or prayer or devotions or, uh, priorities or whatever it may be thoughtful, present time in the morning. Uh, but then with that or, or alongside that was reading, reading might've even been number one. It was reading daily reading, journaling was super high and then exercise as well. And I think it, it's so important to do that first thing in the morning as you partake upon the day. You're going to go take off and go do to take a moment to be. I think it's, I think overall, it seems like from testimony, I don't know if anybody's done a controlled, randomized test, you know, whatever on this, but it seems like experientially and from testimony that that is most beneficial. However, with that said, again, we're, we're doing this converse to nothing, the mass of people who are doing nothing. So if this is something you only have time to do during your commute, try to be present, try to do these things during your drive at lunch, a walk during lunch. If it's later in the day, if it's midnight before you pass out, I wouldn't say that's optimal, but as opposed to nothing, it is gold. So I, I'd like to give permission as we, uh, head out here on this one, Tom, for people to, to do, we're talking about deposits and we can look at the best deposits at the best time, but doing any of them, you have given yourself 
can we make up a, you give yourself, I'm going to say 99.9% better chance of success. Is that fair, Tom? That sounds good. Uh, I like it. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, Tom. Be blessed. One thing I want to add here is really an admission. I mean, I like taking big steps and big leaps, and there are times when those are massively helpful, even necessary. However, I've also grown to learn what I can count on most for my overall progress and achievement is the daily deposits. And it's taken me too long to learn that lesson. And today I'm benefiting in a lot of ways, most ways more than ever due to them. Coming up in episode 935, I'm with Dr. Amishi Jha, a neuroscientist whose focus is the battle for our attention and how we can better take control of it. I brought Amishi on because I wanted to learn more for myself. I I got into her book. I dug into it, studied. I wanted to know more. I brought her on. I feel like it's just a powerful teaching for all of us wanting to achieve more. 